You are listening to Create an Unstoppable Life, episode number 69, The Unstoppable Life Gift-Giving Guide. Create an Unstoppable Life is the podcast for smart professionals who often get in your own way. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a chronic overcomplicator, overworker, overthinker, turn life coach who wants more in life. Each episode, we'll explore how to think differently, get unstuck, and move towards a life of personal and professional fulfillment. So glad you're here. Welcome back and happy Thanksgiving. I hope your holiday was amazing. I remember when I studied abroad in Sweden, we made sure we had Thanksgiving, like it was important to all five of us. We had roasted chickens and anything else that we could scrounge up that was based on family members sending us things and plenty of wine. This was all pre-internet and we figured it out. With a full table of people from around the world, we just shared the tradition of being together and laughing as much as we could. So I hope you had a lot of belly laughs and moments of feeling like you were on top of the world and left feeling like the world was a little smaller and a little warmer. And if you didn't, or you sorta did, but sorta didn't, that's okay. Life is perfectly imperfect. We're either winning or learning. So if you did a lot of learning, you're not alone. I did too. It's the weekend after Thanksgiving, which means you might be preparing for the holidays. Usually involves gifts, regardless of which holiday you celebrate. And in honor of that, here is your most unique, unstoppable life gift-giving guide. Exactly what you would expect from me. Smile. You can give these to yourself, your loved ones, people you want to get to know. And I think you're going to be surprised on how your energy changes for the better. Let's start with number one, withhold your doubt. Yep. That's what I really said. Withhold your doubt. I was talking with an amazing oncologist recently about what happens after the diagnosis of cancer is made. Fear, doubt, uncertainty, worry, thinking about what's going to happen, thinking about death. And of course, all humans have a different response. What she said is that people make a plan. They'll make a plan to start treatment or delay treatment for a while. And then whatever their plan is, some well-meaning people will question it. Good intention people will say, well, what about this? What about that? Did you go see this doctor? Did you hear about that study? And these all sound like really good things. They're really well intended. But for a person with this diagnosis who needs to start treatment, all these questions do is provoke more doubt and they lead to a delay in making a decision and then acting on it. They lead to the same question being asked over and over and not feeling good about any decision made. And ultimately that harms the individual who now has less belief in their treatment or maybe their doctor and wants to delay and do some more research because it's scary. That's exactly what allows the cancer to grow. And cancer's a thief. It's going to take everything it can. It doesn't need any more time. So planting seeds of doubt or adding to doubt does not serve a patient with a new diagnosis of cancer well, or really at all. I never thought about how much we share our doubt in the name of wanting to be helpful until that conversation. And I've done it so many times, like wanting to be helpful, thinking that I am, because after all, 
I'm a doctor, I'm educated, I'm traveled, I can come up with lots of things and lots of reasons to justify inserting myself. And I say it that way because that's my definition of the well-intentioned person, someone on the outside, not someone on the inside who was asked to work through a process or a decision, someone on the outside that wants to be helpful or wants to add something, but ultimately is just inserting themselves. I encourage you to look at it this way too. Discern, is this an invitation in if you're talking with someone? Is that someone looking for support, guidance, or to help somehow with working through a process? If so, different story. If not, then really ask, am I inserting myself here? All right, here's an example. And it was the perfect opportunity to practice this. I was talking with a college student who graduates soon, who's not going to the ceremony. It's not important. She thought about it, made plans for how she wants to spend that time, who she wants to be with, where she wants to be, how she wants to honor that celebration. And here's my mind. Are you kidding me? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. How could you miss it? There's no going back. You have no idea what you're going to miss. Why wouldn't you want to go? Notice these are my thoughts, not hers. This is my doubt. She's not showing any. It was fascinating to watch my mind feast on her decision. And this is all within just a couple of minutes of her speaking. It was the perfect opportunity to see the following. I wanted something for her based on my life experience. She didn't want it. I didn't understand how she could make that decision. And my mind wanted to show her why she wasn't thinking about it correctly. And I was making this all about me. Again, we're three minutes into a conversation. Fascinating. So seeing all this and really being amused by all of this, here's what I said. It sounds like you've put a lot of thought into this. She responded, I have. And shared how she kind of went about that decision making. It sounds like you feel good about this. I do. I'm glad for you. I'm glad you worked through it and you found a solution that really brings what you're looking for. The end. My doubt stayed with me. There was no room for it in the conversation. There was no value in it for her. Withholding doubt. There are ways to apply this every single day. Hospital gowns are one size fits nobody. It's something that patients and I, we laugh about often. There's no one size fits all when it comes to sharing doubt or withholding doubt. But here's what you can do. Notice it. Ask yourself, are they inviting me in to assist with working through this? And then work through what it's about. It's about us and what we want and maybe what we want for them or what we think is best for them. And then refocus back to the other person and look for openings on how to be helpful. You can make simple statements like, it sounds like you've thought a lot about this. That creates an opportunity for the other person to share to ask if they're interested or to share their certainty. And if they want to talk more about it, they can. Otherwise, they have free reign to move on. And then close the door. Does something truly need to be said? Is there something that's going to cause death or disability that the person needs to be warned about right now? If not, move on.
withholding doubt. Here's number two. Use these phrases. I'm in my own way. I'm stuck. I think I'm getting in my own way with this. I'm going to say them one more time. I'm in my own way. I'm stuck. I think I'm getting in my own way on this. Why are these important? To clarify what's going on in your head. Other people, I promise you, they don't know. They cannot read our minds. When you speak the words, doesn't matter if somebody's listening or not, it gives you the opportunity to acknowledge your mental state. And this is moving from being in your own way to thinking about being in your own way. They're very different. Have you ever been outside when there's like a severe storm? Lightning, thunder, heavy rain, downpour, and you're standing in it or you're sitting in it just getting drenched? Now imagine, same storm, but you're sitting on the porch with coffee, dry, in your favorite clothes. Both outside, but what a completely different experience, right? When we're in our own way and resisting it or avoiding it or pretending that we're not, we are standing in that storm. And when we acknowledge it, we move to the porch. We can have a bigger picture of what's going on. We can at least stop adding to it. We can stop getting soaked. We may not get dry, but we can at least stop getting wet. It's a perfect opening to shifting mindset. Again, it stops us from adding more energy to it. And then we can redirect that same energy into actually problem solving. It's also a perfect opener for conversations with others. I'm going to state the implied people we trust, those kind of others. People we trust, they can see what's going on in us. But oftentimes high achievers, we don't want to be told. We don't want to be told we're stuck. We don't want to be told we're in our own way. We have to figure it out. So they already know. But this helps us know that we know. People we trust can also see what we cannot and share with us the openings or opportunities or remind us how we often beat ourselves up and we don't have to. Remind us of the past victories. Remind us that we've always figured it out and we're going to continue to do so. They can also let us off the hook because high achievers, boy, we share the difficulty of making things easy or easier. The difficulty with allowing things to be easy or easier. And especially the difficulty with letting ourselves off the hook. It's never about resources, only resourcefulness. That's paraphrasing a Tony Robbins quote. Thinking differently, not harder, not working longer hours, not sacrificing more. Just thinking differently is what solves problems. Recently I said to Craig, my husband, I think I'm getting in my own way about this with regards to scheduling and creating time for coaching and clinic work and hospital work. And it was an invitation. It was me taking a step back to look at the big picture, to slow down, asking for help with clarifying what fits and what doesn't and making decisions on it. Those phrases are acknowledgement that we don't have the answers and we aren't supposed to that we can learn and invite others in and step out of the storm. There's beauty in a storm for sure. It can entertain us for hours, especially with what goes on in our minds, but there's really no value in staying in it. 
There's only our survival instinct and reactive mode and primitive instincts. And my friends, we don't make the best decisions at that time. So use those phrases, use them often, say them with a smile. That's going to change your experience and change your life. So far, we've covered two gifts. Do you love this? <laughs> First, withhold your doubt. Second, say out loud, I'm getting in my own way on this. Here's number three. Starve your judgment. Give your judgment a holiday. Yes, yours. And for me, mine. I did it the other day. I was thinking about this. I started outlining this podcast. And then I came home and I asked my son, why are you so grumpy? Yep judgment. Even if you're the kindest person in the whole world, you have judgment too. Even if you're my mom, you have judgment because we all have it. It's another way of saying opinions and it's the type of opinions that separate people. Like they should, if they just, why do they do that? Why are they grumpy? (laughs) I'll tell you, it did not open up a positive conversation. I seriously thought I was non-judgmental. I'm a doctor. I've done a million hours of training on creating a non-judgmental environment. I teach this stuff and I'm a huge freaking offender. When I started thinking about my thinking a few years ago, I realized it. Why didn't I like social events? Judging myself and others. Why didn't I try new things? Judging that it was a waste of time or money. Why did I stay in my own way? (laughs) Can you see a pattern? As a doctor, it totally comes up. My opinions on how people should act, how they should treat their body, when they should have started treatment, when they should have presented for care. Oh, well, the list goes on. It was a bold awakening to see it come up, the frequency, the intensity, and how much I considered myself non-judgmental. And then I could start to understand how patients viewed me, or doctors in general, how they could see us as cold and uncaring. It's our judgment in what we say or don't say, how we say it, how readily we offer solutions or help, how much we lean in to show that we care. In my transformation, that's what I call the last couple of years, my transformation or awakening, I started to listen to the judgment that was going on in my thoughts and words. I stopped believing it. And then I started listening for it in my patients and how they spoke and then started listening for it in my clients, the words they chose, all to show what it's creating for them to help make sense out of why they feel the way they do, why they do the things they do, why they're stressed, unmotivated, unfocused, or feel like they're barely hanging on. And when it came up, when, not if, at first I would say, I have so much judgment for myself, I don't have any room to judge you. But now I can say, I'm not here to judge either of us. There's no space for it. Let's find out how to be helpful in this situation. It's a completely different energy. It's a partnership. So what are the clues to judgment? Well, we just had Thanksgiving. What was your experience like? (laughs) I say that with a huge smile. Like, what did you notice in others? What frustrated you? What was your last nerve? Like, what is the belief that people trigger you and and you believe they shouldn't? Or how about this? It's never good enough. That's judgment. They brought dark chocolate instead of white chocolate. 
they were, they said, they didn't help, they didn't pay, they, blah, blah, blah. Do I need to go on? So what situations can you recall when judgment was there? And how about noticing the judgment in others? Their tone, their look, the word choice, the inflection, the posture, the way they move towards you or away from you, the way you moved. These are all clues into what we do as well. What others show us is so valuable to understanding our own thinking, to understanding our own behavior. You know at any time we can stop feeding our judgment. It comes up, we can move on. It starts to come up less. We can hang on to it for shorter periods of time. We can learn to be calm, have all our nerves intact, and decide that we're enough, and let other people be other people. I can let my son be whoever he is without labeling his behavior, without asking him why he's grumpy or how long he's going to be grumpy. Again, didn't work well. (laughs) It doesn't say that you have to tolerate anything. You can choose what, who, when you want to be around. What, when, how you contribute. And you can change your mind. You'll just notice you'll have more energy and more enjoyment and more gratitude. Moving on, number four. Feed hunger, not wants. Do you ever purchase a gift for someone who wants it only to find that it's still in the package? Like it was never opened or used or used for very long? That perfectly good treadmill at the garage sale? That other gadget that was supposed to change life still in the box? On the flip side, the gift that was instantly consumed like the box of dark chocolate, done, brief pleasure, nothing changed. I'm convinced as humans, we have no idea what we want. Like we list off a bunch of things that we think are going to make our life better, make us feel better, but we don't know. And we aren't overly invested in working towards it. I say this with a lot of respect. There's so much noise around us that occupy our brains all the time, and it takes work to get quiet and focused. And so it's easier to not do that. In the last episode, we talked about wanting versus hunger. That's episode 68, alignment. Wanting is a passive process. It's a nice-to process. It sounds good. We say things like, I should want. I should want to be healthier, more active, more fit. I should want to change or I need to change. The list can be quite long of wants, but that's not hunger. Hunger is that drive for change, that belief, whatever it takes. Tony Robbins has three criteria for lasting change, and all three are necessary. It must change now. I must change it now. I can change it now. And when we say all three, that's hunger. What a gift you can give to others to invite the discussion on their hunger, not their wants. To share your hunger to explore what's the purpose of their life and what do they think that will provide or satisfy or fulfill? How will it change them or others? Like what kind of things do they think about? And do they think any of this is possible? Where are they stuck? What's their target? What's their timeline? Yep, purchasing a box of chocolate is so much easier. You are totally right. It's more entertaining. It feels good in the moment, except it doesn't last. 
You know what helps even more than feeding someone's hunger? It's doing it for yourself first. It's easier to lead a conversation when you've traveled down that path first. Did that seem like a trick? Because it was. Introducing an idea and then showing you how it applies to you and why you need to do it. Clarifying and working towards your own hunger changes life. When you know your purpose, it's easier to stay focused and you set up systems to support you. You stop compromising with your time or resources. You'll consume less and create more energy for yourself and come alive in what's possible rather than drown in what's around you. Fascinating, right? And it's amazing how it will attract people to your life. People who will see the momentum, see you win, move a little bit closer and want to know how you did it. And what you can share traveling down the road of feeding your hunger, it's powerful. That's what leads to a meaningful life. And I think that's what most people want. You can lead that. You can gift that. Number five, invest and take action in your life. Wanting, passive. Having a list, passive. Thinking I should, passive. And shaming. Considering it, kicking it around, you get the idea. How about this one? Waiting for permission or approval from others. Spoiler alert, it's not coming. Doing is uncomfortable. Spending the money, signing up, showing up, gearing up, all uncomfortable. But you can say yes. That's repeated over and over. Tony Robbins to rewire the nervous system. Say yes to change. You'll have to say no to the old ways and let them go. Here's an exercise. Stop whatever you're doing, unless you're driving, and then only do it if it's safe. So stop. Look in the mirror. Use the phone camera if you need to. Just look. And tell me, what do you see? I'm not even joking. Just look at yourself. What do you see? Who do you see? Do you see a person who's done? Who's done everything they they will? Ready to sit back and rest for the rest of your life? Have you done all that you want to do? All that you're called to do? Like, have you satisfied that hunger, that yearning inside to do something great? Have you done all that you will or can to help your legacy, like your children's children? Have you grown your life to its fullest potential? If you're human, there's a good chance this category has not been maximized. Both investing in your life and following through and applying all that you've learned. There's so many ways, no matter how old or what stage of life you're in, to invest and grow your life. Tony Robbins talks about the two spiritual needs in life. First is growth, expanding capacity, or either growing or dying. The second is contribution to something greater, to others, to leaving things better than they were found, to changing the paradigm, to saying it doesn't have to be this way and doing something about it. A fulfilling life, I think that's what we're all in search of, except we get sidetracked into pleasure or temporary or non-renewable fulfillment. Growing life. Here's what I recommend. Sign up for a discovery call with me or with a coach 
to see where you're at, where you want to go, what's holding you back and how coaching can help. Your investment, that small amount of time you invest is so little compared to the return. The return of seeing your life differently, seeing your possibilities differently. Walking away from the experience with your eyes a little more open. Investing and taking action. So let's summarize where we've been. Number one, withhold your doubt. Number two, use phrases like, I'm in my own way. I'm stuck. I think I'm getting in my own way. Number three, starve your judgment. Number four, feed hunger, not wants. Number five, invest and take action in your life. Here's your last one. Number six, call on grace every day. If you have a friend or family member named Grace, they may or may not find this amusing. We're talking about the concept of grace, though, not a person. Here are the definitions. Do honor or credit to someone or something by one's presence. Courteous goodwill. Simple elegance or refinement of movement. You'll notice grace is not money, not time, not other resources. You'll notice all the things competing for our resources They pull at our heartstrings. They make a compelling case of why we have to act now, purchase now, donate now, or do something now. When our emotions are affected, we take action because we want to feel better. We want others to feel better. We want to make a difference. We want to be significant. Whether it's right or wrong to take action when something comes to mind, that's not the point of this section. Here's the point. Slow down. Feel what you feel in any situation. Anger, injustice, frustration, isolation, fear, joy, humility, guilt, shame. Feel what you feel. And then call on grace. It can be through simple questions. How can I invite grace into this? What does grace look like? If this was my young child, what would grace look like or sound like or feel like? If this was my favorite person in the world, what would grace look like? What gift can I give myself now? Kindness? How can I lower the pressure of this? Find whatever statement, phrase works for you and call on grace. It's always available, no matter what, no matter how bad, no matter how wrong or hurtful or shameful. It's yours to both give and receive, and there's no limit. Granting grace does not equal approval. It does contribute to acceptance of where we're at, and it helps to show us another way of looking at something and feeling about something. It opens a door and invites possibility. Available at any time, there is no cost. So that's your list. Six gifts that you can give. Number one, withhold your doubt. Number two, use the phrases, I'm getting in my own way, I'm stuck, or I think I'm getting in my own way. Number three, starve your judgment. Number four, feed hunger, not wants. Number five, invest and take action in your life. Number six, call on grace. All six require us to be aware of our mindset and want more and work towards more, be more generous than we thought was possible, 
invite our trusted people in or work to create trusted relationships, have deeper conversations, to answer the question of our own why and our own hunger and lose the guilt and shame along the way, to see growing our lives as an investment and take action because changing our lives, it's an active process. It will always invite fear, doubt, uncertainty, and shame. So have a plan on how to manage those. And then to always remember that we're winning or learning and granting an abundance of grace along the way. There's your list for the holidays, but more importantly, as you open the chapter to a new decade in your life. And when you're ready, sign up for a discovery call with me. Go to georgemdcoaching.com. You'll find it on the work with me page. All my best. High five. I will see you next time. Ciao. Are you ready to create an unstoppable life? to start dreaming again and working towards it? I'd love to talk with you. Sign up for a discovery call at georgemdcoaching.com. You can find it on the work with me page.